0: TNKR Media.
1: Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar with Mike Newton, Managing Director at FL. Mike, welcome back. Hey Dan, how you doing? Excellent. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Today on the program, we have another brand that's recognizable to almost all Montrealers, really, a fashion retailer, Tristan. They've been on the map for a while, and, uh, you know, I have a couple pieces myself, and there's just something about Tristan that feels so Montreal. It just feels so stylish and on point, and, you know, never too crazy, never too, like, wild, never too ephemeral, just really really of the moment and
2: yeah it, it it always had that european feel to it which you know is distinctively montreal as far as canada goes in in, in design uh and it always just had this uh, and, and and the other feel to it was literally the feel the tangibility you, you touched it you felt the quality you felt what was there so i mean that's that goes back to you know when i was in high school in the early 80s and uh you know i can remember the clothes uh, being popular then so this is this is definitely a, a, another one of our great montreal
1: stories and it's uh interesting on the manufacturing front as well to look at how these, this company is prioritizing uh their their Montreal made uh, garments as well and how they did it throughout the uh the pandemic. We'll discuss that. Yeah, um, it's 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 great to see some of
2: the manufacturing, you know, not only come back, but stay, you know, and 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 we watch that kind of brain manufacturing brain drain leave us for such a long time. And uh, you know, I think one of the big pushes not only is 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 the supply chain but also this whole you know concept of carbon footprint and that ability to control uh manufacturing and, and and reduce some of what goes on uh negatively when we're buying from everywhere else
1: your tax partner Carlo Lupo also has some great tips for manufacturers uh, and how to save on some tax credits innovation credits that's on the way as
2: well and he's always entertaining to listen to so you know it's, it's even even if you just listen to him talk he's well worth the five minutes at the end
1: you guys, I mean, both uh, both Carlo Ernie, and Nick. I mean, they're so good on the air. I mean, they're they're really like <laughs> you would think they are trained journalists. They really cram in a lot of info into those five minutes. They really do. Uh,
2: you know, I always kind of joke that the tax guys are a little bit like the island of misfit toys, you know, on the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer what we grew up with. But no, the three of them are great. Uh, they know their stuff, and uh, they seem to really take to uh, take to the radio like uh, like a duck in water. So
1: yeah, they sound good on uh, on the morning show. Okay, let's uh, talk about Elon. We, we've, we've avoided Elon for a few weeks now, but it's time to get there because he is kind of shaking up not only the world of media, but the world of, of workplaces. And his latest thing is a couple weeks ago, he says, you know, the whole uh, remote work thing, it's over. Uh, he's he's ordered the Twitter employees, the ones that remain, because he fired half of them, I think, but the ones that remain are going to have to come to the office for at least a 40-hour work week. Um, what do you think? Is this overdue? And is the hybrid thing uh, going to slowly fade away?
2: Well, I guess there's the personal opinion to this and then there's everything else. I mean, I, I think the first side, uh, you know, Elon Musk is in, in the last six months is is starting to go from, uh, you know, brilliant, eccentric entrepreneur to some kind of madman, megalomaniac, I think. And uh, this is really starting to to hit some of his credibility, I think, uh, in terms of these things. And, yeah, the whole Twitter let's call it debacle from the moment he was going to buy it to not buy it to going back in and now completely shaking things up um you know I see him as, as an individual and that has you know, the conviction of uh, you know of what he's doing and that he's right. I also think he he sees himself as, sees himself not just because of his his uh, his, uh, his innovations, but he sees himself as uh, kind of that innovator, that you know the, the head of the curve. And whether that is in building a product or whether that's getting staff back to work. So you know anybody who's got that kind of influence is going to continue to to take up a lot of space in in the media. Um, and you know nobody will really know what the purpose behind his drive is. Is that what he feels? Is he he's just trying to be uh someone who ultimately is uh you know likes to be talked about um but it, it is certainly going to create some waves and 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 he is an individual who um you know I I'm not going to disagree with him I, I I really am you know I I'm not on this topic <laughs> um I'm really, you know, I really think the whole culture of building everything about getting people to back, whether it's forty hours a week or not. uh, I guess it remains to be seen. But and you know, we've said this many times on this program. I mean, where we sit today versus where we sat yesterday to three years ago is highly unlikely going to be where we sit three to five years from now. And I think we're going to go through a whole bunch of trial trial and error from a lot of people that are going to try and trend set in in this area. And uh, there's there's a lot of upheaval I think uh, still coming our
1: way in terms of what uh, what a workforce is going to look like. I mean, I've been hybrid for quite a while. I mean, way, well before the pandemic, I'm often on the road between the Laurentians and here, Toronto. So I believe in it, but I also believe in the fact that some kind of permanent presence for for an organization, certainly that's not web based, uh, is is necessary. I mean, you you just you just do business better in person.
2: Yeah, I I think there's a lot to be said about, uh, you know, obviously creating a culture. There's a lot to be said about creativity of having people around you while you're the informal side to creativity. Uh, You know, you know, you know better than I, Dan, you can't put four people in a room, give them a watch, and tell them they have 30 minutes to come up with a great idea. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, and a lot of times that happens by the casual conversation in the hall or by the water cooler or you know sitting in someone's desk having a drink at the end of the day and it, that's what misses it it certainly gets i mean it, you can have a drink on 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 online on teams or on zoom and you know with another person but just there's there's a lot lost to it
1: I just want to make one comment on the whole elon situation I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts mike because you know i we we do at tnkr work with mostly professionals a lot of scientists doctors lawyers people who are very technical minded like like people like musk but obviously not to that level um i find these types of people are often the ones who think that media is easy and that, that marketing is easy and that they can just do it all themselves in one shot and you know i think what we're seeing with elon is someone who Uh, is is learning that he can't fit his media activities into a neat little box as if he's an engineer, right? We're talking about arguments and people and cultures and things that are very difficult to put in a neat little box or to engineer uh, very neatly. And I think that's what he's learning right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like I said, part of it could be uh, the narcissistic personalities that drives his ability to do what he does. And we all need that as, as part of our daily, you know, creative process. You need to have a little bit of narcissism and, and, and be able to shun the commentary that comes your way if you're going to have a conviction of an innovation. But I think the bit of the issue is he falls into a, a number of other people where any press is good press. And he hasn't quite determined that uh, there's a way to go about doing it. Unless his marketing plan is to just throw stuff out there and see what sticks, we know there's been a few people like that uh, over the years, uh, including past presidents in the U.S. Um, but you know, really, it's it's he just seems to he just seems to need to be out there. And and you know, some days he's doing himself more damage than he is good. And and I don't know if that I don't know enough about the uh, you know the, the the mental side of marketing as to whether that's just a good thing or whether that's part of.
1: Needing and needing to see and hear yourself on a regular basis. It seems like he's up to something in any case, but I guess we'll have to wait and see.
2: Oh, you know what? You don't have a brain like that, and not be up to something, Dan. And exactly. and it could be right, it could be wrong, but there's no way that that you know, as much as I complain about my inability to put my mind at rest, that that man can never have a a, a quiet moment up inside his noggin. So
1: can I tell you the craziest conspiracy theory as to why he's creating so much chaos uh, at Tesla? They, and this is from Twitter. It's probably nonsense, but it's funny to to think about it. They uh, they're creating bots, right? Robots, and mm-hmm. so the theory is that perhaps Elon is trying to elicit some strong human emotions to collect data to feed the bots but
2: Oh, uh, yes, the AI research. Perfect. Yeah. Great. So basically, we've just fed right into it, is what you're telling me.
1: Possibly. Yeah, okay. All possibly right, he's right. He's I understand. Of our emotions. He's collecting
2: okay. Everything. Well, you know, if there's anything that I just want to make sure in the book that you and I get credit for uh, being part of the research and, and, uh, you know, moving that forward. So uh, we're all good. I'm all good with that.
1: Um, another anyway. very controversial workplace issue lately, the four day work week. This is from HRD Mag. So is it a modern way of uh, conducting your business or a stress- Inducing nightmare. I know where you stand on this, Mike. So you're on the nightmare. Maybe I am the nightmare.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting because, you know, while most uh, recent studies saw like 94% of job seekers are actually looking for a company with a four-day work week, of those that were doing it, 27% that said their stress was increased from when they were working five days. So you know, be careful what you wish for, right, on, on the other side. Part of that is I don't think we have figured out how to do it properly yet, A. B, um, there is an expectation that if you're going to get paid a full-time job in four days, then you should do a full-time job in four days. So you get this, this mix between what should your output and your production be, um, you know, I think if you go to a lot of the professionals and you look at like doctors and nurses, I mean, you know, my daughter's a nurse and there's this constant on shift off shift. I mean, they can do it. They can do a week's worth of work in three, three and a half days, um, and, and still, you know, perform well. So I, I think it's a question of us getting our head around what this looks like going forward. You know, I, I do believe that we need to start be taking ownership of what this is going to look like. If I only want to work four days and I only want to work seven and a half hours on four days, and don't expect to get paid for five um, because the employer has to fill in the fifth day, and there's some there's some cost associated, and whether that's downtime or whether that is uh, having to hire somebody. I think what we're going to see once a lot of the dust settles here is we're going to start to see uh, what's happened in a lot of other industries and in going into a more uh, traditional is we're going to see multiple people doing multiple jobs and you're going to end up seeing, you know, three people doing two jobs. You're going to see, you know, those environments where, uh, you know, you didn't have necessarily, you know, you could you could leave at the end of the day and not take work home with you. Then tomorrow morning you could change to somebody else. So if you were a call center or you were doing something else, uh, it's always been hard in the more corporate environment uh, and uh, you know the professional environment where there's a client connection so you have to find a way for people that are going to have three people doing two jobs that there's a, a synergy and, and a communication uh, model that allows that the client doesn't feel the difference even if you're not there for a day so you know it's it's Dan and Mike servicing client x so whether he speaks to Mike or he speaks to Dan it doesn't matter but if we don't have a communication model between us and a way of ensuring then something falls through the cracks and that's going to be the client and and we know at the end of the day that if the client is, if we're not prepared to do it,
1: somebody else is. Yeah, that that those that work has to get done at some point, right? So you can save it to Monday <laughs> or you can shift it around for the Friday. I mean, the way the way we've been working is typically the the junior employees do have the option of, of taking Fridays off, but the senior ones who, who are close to the clients don't and and they have to be available. And that's that's normal. It, it, it's a relationship
2: thing, Dan. And, and, you know, the question I keep putting out there is uh, it, it's a great opportunity for the young ones to do that. But at what point, do they want to turn and be the seniors? And at what point do they need to build that relationship? And at what point are they going to take ownership for what that com- what comes with that? And I think this is th- th- this is what's going to have to find its way into our work week going forward is you can have what you want but you're missing out on something and at what point are you going to pick up that something in order to fulfill a full job and 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 I don't think uh, I don't think uh, we've worked through that yet as a group uh, and certainly through the pandemic because there's been such a shortage of people we've accepted 3 days 4 days whatever the case is just to fill spaces and there there the, there's going to be a day of reckoning and I don't think it's nearly as far out as everybody thinks based on what's coming economically recession wise and and everything else
1: So the four day work week doesn't work for all businesses, maybe not even most, but I've noticed that for those that are on four days and that want more, that's a great way to gauge who your future leaders of the business are going to be and who's who's going to take up some important space. So I have noticed that when when people ask for more, I'm like, great, you're going to be a a part of this business for a while. And I love that.
2: Yeah, and, and and I think there, and and I think it can work in just about any industry. I really do on a four day, but that's you know you've got to change the model, you've got to change the communication styles, you've got to you've got to ensure that you know for even for some of those things that if there's you know c- critical clients and it's your day off that maybe it is an hour here, or half an hour there, just because that's what maintains the relationship because the clients are the ones that pay the bill at the end of the day, and you got to keep them happy
1: because as I said earlier, if you don't, somebody else is willing to. All right, Mike. I, I put on my blazer here for Lily Feltang of Tristan.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: So, for those that don't know, I think we've all seen the brand around town. Uh, what is Tristan?
0: Tristan is um, well, it's a family business, like you said, but it's a fashion retail and manufacturer, retailer and manufacturer. Uh, so we um, we we have a fashion for men and women. Uh, we produce in Canada. We have our in-house design team in Montreal. So. Uh, so we our target market is young, modern, professional. We 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 offer quality, we offer style, and uh, and service, which is something we don't find everywhere anymore anymore.
2: So it was founded in 1973 by Joe Fortin and Denise Delaurier. Um, You know, I, I I grew up in the 80s and in, in high school, and I can remember Tristan as being the uh, kind of that symbol of style, class, and quality. At, uh, at you know at that kind of teenage, so it was only those that had a few more bucks that were wearing it because it was kind of you know high end, and it was great. It, it, I can still remember the sweaters that my wife and her sister had, and go, wow, there you can feel that quality. So. Since since the early days of uh, you know the seventies when you first started, uh, what's changed in 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 the styling? I mean, not necessarily the style, but the styling itself and how you designed products and the quality. I mean, there's been an evolution obviously over time, and we were talking you know fifty almost fifty years. Uh, what's changed?
0: I'll start with what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed? There is goes the there
2: goes my next question.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Um, Well, what hasn't changed, and I think it's very important for for me and for the next generation and for our teams here, is that um, our focus on quality, our attention to detail, um, our desire to please our customers. Customers first is what hasn't changed. Um, But what has changed is our customers' needs uh, and uh, their lifestyles and fashion. Fashion evolves. It changes. Um, It's like it it comes back, but it you know it's uh, so so we adapt, we evolve in terms of fashion trends, customers' behaviors, and also uh, their needs, their lifestyles, but always keeping true to our roots, um, offering a great product at um, affordable price. Uh, So quality is at the base of everything that we do.
2: You mentioned a, a very interesting point. I've been trying to hammer this home when the professional services environment, I don't think it's any different what you're talking about is, you know, it's what we see we sell versus what the client needs. Uh, and, you know, in, in in your case, you're selling sweaters or you're selling clothing, but the client is not necessarily looking for clothing. They're looking for a style. They're looking for a message. They're looking for an image. How do you keep that um? that changes obviously with time. How do you keep up to date with that? And how do you keep in tune to ensure that, you know, you're not just providing clothing, but rather what the client is looking for from uh, from a more cerebral perspective?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's driven by emotions. Our, our needs are, are, you know, uh, or I find anyways, dri- are driven by emotions for, for clothing. And that what's tricky is that we have to, to guess or define or, uh, the needs of the customers a year in advance because the cycle, the production cycle, Time has increased uh, significantly over the last couple of years because of the pandemic and the supply chain. Um, So we have to forecast um, months in advance what our customers will need uh, and will want. Um, But that's our job and that's what we do. And we have teams that are dedicated to that.
2: But people hear us talk about the supply chain and, and 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 the delays that it's caused, and I think most people automatically go to, well, you know, bringing something in from another country, having stuff shipped overseas, it's that slowed down the process. But you know, you guys are doing local production, and you're talking the same game, right? You're talking the same delays, the same processes. What do you what what were your, what was your biggest uh, obstacle, I guess, in the last couple of years?
0: Oh, There are quite quite a few on the top <laughs> of my list. <laughs> Uh, supply chain was definitely one of them after, uh, you know, stores opening and reopening and closing. And so that was definitely the number one. Um, but the fact that the supply chain was completely broken is definitely one of the biggest challenges we faced. And we're still facing today because it's not fixed. Um, and uh, from even before the pandemic, we, we it was very important for us to diversify. Uh, everything, but even in terms of production. So long before the pandemic we invested in local production because it was a it, it was more than, than than an investment or just wanting to with a, with a business goal in mind. It, it was even it was deeper than that. It was just social responsibility and environment responsibility as well. And we just wanted to do a part and we wanted to contribute to our, um, not just our economy, but our industry. Because once we lose the know-how, we know how, how impo- actually we know it's impossible to get back, um, to bring it back. Uh, we've seen it in other countries. Um, once we lose uh, the people who know how to make garments and who want to make garments, um we don't teach this in uh in schools anymore. They all, you know, they teach design, but they don't teach manufacturing or actually, you know, the, the making of a garment. So it's very important for, for for us from for 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 the longest time. When everyone was transferring production overseas, we actually invested in a factory here in uh, in two factories here in Quebec. But the supply chain is still broken. So local production is helping us uh, you know compensate for the the issues that we have or the delays that we have overseas. but that but we do have the delays here also because uh, with the pandemic, factories closing, just bringing the workers back. Um, and uh, we still have to wait for the delays of the fabrics. the 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 fabrics are, are, are delayed. so the the, the the production lead time has gone from 12 to 16 weeks to 36 weeks in some cases. Uh, and that's just a production lead time for some of the fabrics. So, uh, so we're still facing a lot of challenges with the supply chain.
1: I'm just curious how much of your production is here versus uh, overseas. When I, when I look at Tristan, and I do have a couple pieces myself, you know, there's something so uniquely Montreal and stylish about it. I, I wonder if perhaps is it the most specialized pieces that are made here or how do you differentiate the two, uh, the two streams?
0: We decided we decided to focus uh, on on what is for us, what has for us or for our customers the most added value, which are suits, tailored suits, uh, so jackets, pants. Um, so it's changed a bit during the pandemic. People needed less suits. Now they're going back to suits. So we play between twenty five to thirty percent of our collections that are made uh, that are made here.
2: I'm I'm going to guess, Dan, you're not one of the ones buying a lot of suits. I I have a couple of suits, but (laughs) Uh, what do you mean? I wear, I wear them five days a week. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but you can wear you can wear a, bl- a jacket with yeah. jeans, or it doesn't have to be a, a tailored suits like you know,
1: like like yeah, it can be. Yeah, a blazer, today. blazer and jeans, yeah, yeah, my typical Friday. Just pair. J- just having a
2: little fun with the radio personality. That's all. You um, <laughs> actually you you raise a very interesting point, and you know from the from shipping the ma- <clears throat> excuse me shipping manufacturing overseas to bringing it back and starting factories. What did you learn when you did that to start factory, you know, start your own factory? What, what were some of the mistakes or some of the things you did really right that you look back and go, wow, I'm really glad we did that because?
0: Well, I think just uh, investing in the factory or just purchasing, buying the factory uh, is definitely something we did right. Uh, even though uh, for about 10 years we were wondering if this was the right uh, call to make. Uh, But the reason I'm saying this is that during the pandemic, if we didn't have these factory, I don't think we would have gone through the, the pandemic because... We um, we turned our production into uh, you know the production of uh, PPE like uh, equipment for uh, protect personal uh,
2: protective uh, equipment. Yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. So we made uh, we made face shields, we made blouses, we made scrubs for the for the healthcare system. Uh, and to be honest, this is what got us through the pandemic because when all of our stores were closed, we were able to keep. Uh, you know, keep giving job to our uh, to our employees and our, our teams.
2: So a, b-
1: uh, a big thank you from the father of a nurse. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> We're speaking with Lily Fortin, president and the owner, second generation owner of the family business, Tristan. And Lily, when it comes to uh, the future and where you want to take this business, um, what about the family? I know you have a lot of family right now involved in the business. Are you looking toward the second generation and um, how many Fortins are involved right now?
0: Yes. Uh, well, both of my parents started the company, uh, and they are still—they're still involved, not to the level they were before, you know. Where, uh, but they—I mean, it's a passion. It's their they they, they started the company, so it's—they still want to, you know, they still want to contribute and see, you know, being part of the its evolution. Uh, but my brother and sister are both involved. My sister is taking over from uh, my mother, who was in charge of the design and the production, so she ha- shes on the creative side. Uh, of the business, and uh, my brother is in charge of the web, so the e-commerce.
2: Excellent. So you know, every family transition, every story has its own little nuances and eccentricities. Um, you know, as as you go back to, I mean, obviously the the inspirational side of your parents to 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 take this off, you know, get this off the ground and get it moving, uh, to then transition to you. How far in advance of you taking over did uh, did you really start a formal process? Or did you ever really start a formal process?
0: Uh, I think my father would answer that it started when I was uh, three weeks old. Uh, I think, and it's funny because I do the same thing with my kids, and it's not planned. It's just for, you know, because we have to, uh, but I was, we were involved very young uh, attending board meetings very early, uh, or, you know, or, uh, you know, with our financial advisors uh, from, from, <laughs> from the very early stages of our lives, uh, very early on. Um, and I know my father would say they, we thought they didn't understand anything until they started asking questions, you know, referring to us, the kids. Uh, asking what is cash flow, you know, like we're playing in the corner and then two days later, you know, dad, what is what's cash flow? Uh, you know, when you're every
2: every parent's dream, kids sitting in the corner gang, hey dad, what's cash flow? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and being in a family business, you know, where both of my parents are involved in, in which both of my parents are involved, you know, I mean, dinners, uh, you know, we pretty much only talked about business. Um not only, it's gonna sound boring, but, but pretty much, you know. <laughs> um, well,
2: There, 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 there's almost no delineation between the office and home when everybody's totally involved. And, and, you know, obviously, like you said, you can, you can bring up other topics, but one way or another, you know, how was your day has a whole new meaning when the whole family's involved at this point. So obviously the evolution of, uh, of, of the transition started when, when would you say that you, you the, either they targeted you other than three weeks, they targeted you or you targeted that position in terms of some, some serious uh, discussions of, hey, this is where we should be going. Um,
0: I think it's uh, when I was younger, uh, you know, before we started, we talked about horses. I, I had a true passion for horses. Uh, I wanted to make it a career. I wanted this to be my career. And I think it's uh, when my father said, OK, try it. Uh, and then I said, I really thought to myself, like, is this really what I want to do? Uh, I said, I love, it's a passion. But what I, you know, I, there was an aspect of business, even in horses that I liked about training. So I know you're training an animal, but just the, the training and and the planning and the, the, the buying and the selling, it was something that I, I had a very strong interest for, even with the horses. So I think when I decided that um, no, I would not pursue a career in uh, in in the sport that I love, uh, but I'd rather um, you know go for 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 something uh, in the in the business. I think that's when you know the the, the change was uh, was made, and then I decided to take care of some divisions in the U.S. A division of the U.S. that that we had. And uh, I was able to turn it around. And um, then I decided to go back to business school. So I think this, you know, like different steps, but it just happened naturally.
2: Well, having been involved in the horses since uh, I was born, I'm sure there was a collective sigh of relief when you said, no, mom, dad, I'm going to go into the business and I'm not going to stay with the horses because, you know, it's uh, it's a rather costly uh, to process. Um, interesting. You, you mentioned the U.S. Uh, operation. Maybe give us a little more of an insight into. Uh, I mean, you, like you said, you 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 kind of turned it around. What, what was the? What were the problems? Uh, and and how did you how did you fix
0: those? Well, it was simple. We had great sales, but no no profitability. So we can't run a business on. You know, leases are, are super expensive. Everything was super expensive. There were management issues. It's a different country. You know, it's so close yet so so big and so different. Um, so I think it was just being, being there, being more present. Uh, I actually, I did not officially move there, but I was there every week uh, coming back here on the weekend, but I think it was just being there.
2: So you, you look, you look down the road and, you know, kind of you said your parents were going kind to of saw you at three weeks taking over. You've got a six-year-old son who's sitting at your desk. So, you know, there you go. That, that right there tell, tells me we've got a transition, but you know, it, how, how do you look down the road and, and how do you decide in from your perspective? I mean, you grew up into your parents. They had their own vision. How do you see the future of the organization? And, and do you still see uh, the desire from a family business or is there some look down the road going, you know what, it's been a challenge on my family and maybe it's time to do something different?
0: I think what's the most important is the passion. And I think that's what my parents have transmitted to us and that's why we're involved. So as long as the reason behind being involved is the right one, making it right. And as long as the team members are the right people in place, both for, um, you know, for, for every reason, as long, you know, I just don't want privileges. Um, so if my kids want to be involved, they're still young, they have time, They'll they'll have to try other things, they'll have to, you know, prove that they are the right people to to be in the business, so for me, as long as the passion is there, the competent, like the you know the competences are there. I mean, it's great when it's family members. If it's not, it's not. But if you know, I, I won't force it.
2: You know, you, you just mentioned the point of, you know, family, uh, you know, getting along and doing and, and being part, and it's great to work together. It's not always perfect. And, you know, do you guys have some kind of formalized uh, dispute resolution? Or, you know, or, or is this just, we're the family, we figure it out? Sometimes you'll see families have kind of a third party on the outside to help when they're not getting along on certain things. Are you guys all in and, and, and all capable of solving your own problems together?
0: Well, I, I hear a lot of horror stories in family businesses. I think we're, we're, we're lucky on our end. Uh, yes. I mean, we have our bumps sometimes, um, but uh, we communicate well. So we, uh, I think that's thanks to my mom. She's a big, you know, believer and right, rightfully so in communication. And if something's wrong, we we say it right away. We don't keep it. Um, and uh, I think that just, yeah, I think it's just a balance between my mom, you know, always pushing on communication and my father with a huge sense of humor. We forget very fast. If something, you know, something goes wrong, we say it out loud, we fix it. Um, But the next day we're over it, you know, if it's fixed. Um, And yes, we are, uh, you know, we have, we work with consultants on a, you know, with a family board, but so far so good. It's going well. Uh, And we, we don't like, fighting for no reason. I think we're a very uh, <laughs> tight family. Uh, so uh, it's going well.
1: Uh, Lily, talking about pandemic pivots here for a second, a lot of retailers were, of course, going through a really rough time in Montreal in the fashion industry. What did you learn over the last couple of years? And did you have a pandemic pivot?
0: I learned so many things. Um, I applied things that I learned even in my horseback riding career. Uh, you know, I said. Every day, all the time, it's more in French. Uh, calm, droit, et en avance. It's a calm, straight, but keep going forward, no matter what. With horses, it's it's if you if you start if you forget about going forward, you are in trouble. And I think it's the same thing in business. Um, but what I've learned is continue building trust. I've realized that uh, this this was our best asset, both from our employees, from our suppliers from uh from our clients uh so keep building trust and expect the unexpected
1: i'm i like the brand i mean it's it to me it represents montreal modernity uh fashion it's somewhat european but i can't i don't even know why i like the brand lily to be honest you know there's something just familiar about it
0: i great i can give you lots of reasons (laughs) but no i mean but great thank you it's uh I, I, yes I think we've uh, I think my parents have worked their lifetime to to build this uh I mean this trust or you know this uh this reputation and um and we'll, this is definitely something that we'll we'll uh, continue uh, to to work on.
1: It's an important part of the fashion landscape and a very interesting business. Tristan, thanks, Lily, so much. And you're going to hang around. We're going to have your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a moment. But first, let's introduce our expert. Carlo Lupo who is a tax partner at FL Fuller Landau, here to talk about tax credits for big manufacturers like Tristan and other fashion retailers. Carlo, welcome back.
3: Thanks, Dan. Thank you for having me once again. Um, I love the segment. Uh, a lot of things came to mind when Lily was talking about the business, the whole aspect of manufacturing, um, looking at fashion, always staying ahead of the curve, thinking of of the following year. So, a business like Tristan, um, that's in manufacturing and retail, there's a, there's a lot of credits that are available for these businesses. Um, you know, one that comes to mind are design tax credits. These are are credits uh, for the whole design process. Um, If you have designers or qualified pattern makers or even an outside external consultant that's in the design process, you can get up to 24% tax credits on um, certain eligible expenditures towards uh, that process. And for a business like Tristan that's in fashion, it's important um, to incentivize these businesses to stay ahead of the curve and and really uh, push them to to, to innovate and, and move forward.
2: So would a company like this, Carlo, be eligible for research and development, SR&ED credits as well? I mean, they're a manufacturer. We look at it and say, hey, they're making clothes. Uh, is there anything on the, on the table for them, excuse the pun, from an SR&ED perspective?
3: Absolutely, Mike. That's a great question. You know, Tristan, um, Lily talked about the whole process, manufacturing. um, They're looking at ways of innovating uh, production, especially locally, uh, which is great. It bolsters the economy, brings back manufacturing um, to Canada um, and and looking at ways of um, reducing the carbon footprint, being eco-friendly. So when you're looking at the process, anytime you can engineer something in a new way, um, that better's the quality that that improves the process uh, that that um, has a a lasting effect. There's an, a certain innovative or 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 developmental aspect to it. Um, these are are activities that could qualify for um, scientific research and experimental development, as we call it, shred um, credits are fantastic in Canada, especially in Quebec. When you look at a combination. Uh, For a business that's a Canadian-controlled private company, credits could be up to 65% on eligible expenditures, uh, up to $3 million. Unfortunately, for other corporations that don't qualify uh, for the higher rate of credit, it's still pretty good at 29%. Um, So that is kind of uh, uh, another incentive to encourage businesses to to, you know, bring back these type of activities to Canada and really push the innovation aspect of, of, you know, research and development.
2: You touch on a really good point. I mean, we've had uh, the wave of manufacturer leave our countries or or pretty much North America. Uh, We've seen uh, because of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of it start to come back again. Um, we seem to go through waves of government support on uh, whether it's SR, whether it's Shred, whether it's uh, manufacturing credits. Uh, sometimes they're a little more open, sometimes mm-hmm. a little more closed. Uh, what, what, do you, what are you seeing right now in the marketplace in terms of, uh, shall we call it, openness by uh, CRA and, and, and Quebec?
3: So that's great. Um, There has been a significant amount of change in the last couple of years, um, 2018, 2021, with regards to uh, depreciable equipment. Um, Certainly on the Quebec side, it it, it is encouraging uh, bringing back local manufacturing. Um, They had reintroduced or repackaged a a type of credit. It's now called the 3CI credit. It's a credit for innovation and investment uh, that targets the acquisition of eligible manufacturing equipment, computer software, hardware, software packages, really to encourage businesses to invest in in production, invest in manufacturing. Um, The credit is 10 to 20% depending on the economic vitality zone that you're in. But uh, as part of the pandemic budget that was passed in March of 2021, they've actually doubled the credit. So for a period of almost two years from March 2021 to December 31st, 2022, these credits are now 20 to 40% depending on the economic zone. So there's a lot of incentive on the table for businesses that are in the manufacturing, design, research aspect to really propel them forward and and really, um, you know, generate uh, uh, economic returns for them.
1: Carla Lupo, tax partner at FL with some tips for manufacturers. Thanks so much, Carlo. Thank you again. And as we come to the end of our show, as usual, we'll turn to our entrepreneur, Lily Fortin, head of Tristan, second generation head of Tristan. And we ask her for her one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs, Lily. Uh,
0: The one piece of advice that I have, I actually, it's an advice that I have for myself that I keep reminding myself every day. Uh, and it's something that my trainer taught me when I was younger and competing in in, uh, horse horseback riding jumping and uh, my trainer remember was always telling me you will never become a good rider if you ride good horses so he kept giving me the horses that nobody wanted to ride uh, for me to to learn how to ride horses and to, uh, to to become better to become a better rider so it's calm in French sorry it's in French I'll translate it after but it's Calm, droit et en avant. So it's calm, straight, and forward. And it applies to everything that I do in life, both in my family aspect of life, as in my professional, in business, at the office. I remind everyone all the time, calm, straight, and forward. In business, uh, if you don't look forward, you're not going forward. Uh, And uh, with everything we've been through, you can't go through a big crisis if you're not uh, calm and your mind is not straight. So calm, straight, and forward. Sounds
1: better in French. Calme, droit, en avant. Sounds awesome. Very good advice. And uh, Mike, certainly talking about the parallels with, with caring for horses, very, very close to you. And uh, a really great talk today.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really good. I mean, Lily made the point earlier on that, you know, it it really is a discipline. I mean, whether that uh, whether you're in business or whether you're looking after horses, there's a discipline that's learned in terms of, you know, doing the same things, uh, making sure you get it right, uh, making sure you continue to move forward. So, uh, you know, you're always going to catch my interest when we start talking horses and uh, and no doubt, uh, I think Lily is Lily's got it right on. Lily, it's thanks. great so to much. have an
0: audience that knows about horses. That calm, straight and forward uh, resonated with you right away.
1: <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was perfect. So great. <laughs> Lily, thanks so much. Your last show of the year. So happy holidays to you. And we appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks to Mike as well. Happy holiday to you and yours as well. All the best to you and your family as well, Dan. Thank you so much. And a reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs MTL as a podcast on iHeartRadio iTunes or your favorite platform and log on to the website, InspiringEntrepreneursMTL.com for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Thanks so much to all of our producers, Marjorie, uh, Ariel, Fernando, and others. We'll be back here in January. Take care.
0: This has been a production of TNKR Media Good talk